Okay, you're very welcome to the Top 5 Books podcast. Uh, you know the drill at this stage. We get a well-known person to talk about their top five favourite books. Today, I'm delighted to say our guest is the uh, the well-known journalist, the well-known writer, Connor O'Cleary. Connor, you're very welcome. Thank you, Sean. Listen, before we get to your choices, look, you're, you know, you're, you're a renowned journalist, you're a renowned writer. I'm guessing books were a huge part of your life from a very, very early age. Uh, yes, if you were to come to my house, you would find books in every room. I occasionally have to weed them out and throw some away. And I have collected books mostly on history, American history, American presidents, Russian history, Eastern European history. I, I think if there's a new history book comes out on Hodges Figures, I'll be the first to grab it on that period. And was it always history as a kid or did you start off with, I'm assuming you weren't reading um, biographies of Johnson and stuff in No, your, no I, uh, I would say that this isn't on my list but one of the books that influenced me when I was a kid was Grimm's Fairy Tales with their stories of tales from Eastern Europe and Russia and it instilled in me a fascination with that part of the world which has never left me. Now I hope, I really hope I'm not ageing you here but did I read somewhere that one of your first earliest memories was of um, seeing the US Air Corps in preparation for the D-Day landings. Did I make I that up in, in my head or did I? I? You're, you're right. And uh, I was four years old in 1944. So you can do the calculation. <laughs> and uh, my father took me down to in Newcastle County down to the golf links, which ran along by the shore, to see the um, rehearsals for D-Day. And one of the things that sticks out in my mind is that the soldiers went out into the sea in amphibious vehicles called ducks and then they came back in and they jumped out of the ducks and ran up the beach and to me as a child the wonderment was that these men were jumping into the water fully clothed and that that stuck with me uh, all these years. They were preparing for what they would be doing. They were preparing for Normandy, yes. It is quite extraordinary. It's an amazing first memory to have. Okay, listen, let's get to some of your choices, some really, really interesting choices. But we'd start with, I suppose it's more of a blockbuster than a, uh, now there is historical and political uh, themes running through it, but it's a good old-fashioned spy novel, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy by John le Carre. Well, yes. why, why did you go for this one? Well, I've always been fascinated with the world of espionage which fits into my love of the history of the Cold War and the Soviet Union and the United States and England. It introduces us to the world of Smiley and the circus and control, which were the names for the head of MI6 and uh, and the headquarters in London. And the, the plot is a typical Cold War plot where an MI6 officer is sent to Budapest to meet a defector and he's shot. And uh, somebody in MI6 at home an agent called Tar, he believes that there's a mole in MI6. But he's demoted, he's ignored, and uh, Smiley takes up the case. So it's a story of intrigue and treachery and things not being what they seem to be. Uh, I'll just tell you an interesting story about uh, MI6 and the KGB. When I was news editor of the Irish Times in the early 1980s, I used to occasionally meet for lunch the task correspondent, the Soviet news agency correspondent, who's called Mikhail Smirnov. It's very, yeah, very good a name, very apt name. Very apt name. Yeah. Uh, one day we were going for lunch in Coffers in, in Temple Bar and he said to me, there's the special branch car that follows me everywhere. He explained how they sat outside his house and followed him. And I went uh, over to the car and I said to the two guys in the car, I said, you can take a, an hour and a half off, we'll be in Coffers restaurant. They weren't too pleased. I mentioned later to Pat Kenny when he interviewed me about what it was like working in Moscow where I'd been transferred. And he asked, was I ever followed? And I said, no, I wasn't. But the task correspondent in Dublin has followed. Years later, a KGB person who was spying for MI6, he was head of the London Bureau, was transferred back to Moscow. 
He was revealed to be working for MI6, but the MI6 managed to smuggle him out. He was called Gordievsky, and the book has just been published about his role. And in the index, Gordievsky has uh, the names of all the KGB people working in Europe in the early 1980s, and there's Mikhail Smirnov, acting KGB chief in Ireland. Wow. So things are never what they seem in that world. Yeah, and it was even closer to home for you as well, because I think I'm right in saying again, when you went to uh, Moscow as the Irish Times' uh, first uh, Moscow correspondent, the woman who had then go on to become your wife she was your trans she was hired as your translator and am I right in saying I think the KGB approached her and asked her would they would she basically that's right I've just written about this in my book The Shoemaker and His Daughter they approached her and threatened her that she wouldn't get her PhD for which she was studying uh, if they didn't cooperate and reveal what was said at dinner parties with diplomats and other journalists and interestingly one of the journalists with whom we both were friendly was Zan Smiley who's the son of the original Smiley that John le Carre based wow. the, his MI chief. It's uh, a MI6 small world, chief on. It's a word. small <laughs> word, yes. And no wonder that they were interested. What is it particularly about this book? I mean, it's a, I read it many, many years ago. And there's a, actually a very good film that came out about it a few years ago. Not, not a bad film. There anyway. is. I, I've read it twice now, and, and each time I've got huge enjoyment out of it. Yeah, it's a page-turner. It's a, it's it, a real it page. is. You, you describe it as his best novel. Others would say The Spy Who came in from the cold do you, do you like yeah the, uh, I, I like the honourable schoolboy uh, and I like the one based in Hong Kong where a lot of the action takes place in the correspondence club where I used to hang out myself in days gone by Okay, now, it's a great first choice because it is a brilliant book. Actually, you kind of make me want to go back and, and read it again. Let's get on to your next choice Connor. Now this is a very historical one and it's a I suppose it was a much neglected area of history up until relatively recently and the history of how the Native American was treated. And it's a very famous book. I think it sold something like four million copies worldwide. I'm talking about Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee by Dee Brown. Yes, this book was printed in 1971 and is still in print. It's about the defeat of the Indian tribes when the settlers were pouring into the United States in the early 19th century. And uh, in particular, the Cherokee nations who were moved thousand miles to um, Oklahoma on what's known as the Trail of Tears because 15,000 of them uh, were moved and 5,000, 4,000 died on the trail. And that, by today's definition of the word, is a genocide mm. defined by uh, Raphael Limpkin after the Second World War as the conscious displacement and erasement of a group and the removal of the foundation of life of a distinct book. But this is a rare book that forever changes the way a subject perceives the event and it had a huge effect on me because I was brought up on, as everybody else was the, the West, Cowboys the and Indians questions. the baddies were the, the, the baddies, Indians the baddies were the Indians and uh, another interesting uh, effect of reading this book was uh, when I was working in Belfast in 1976 I was invited to witness the opening of the Mellon Folk Park in Omaha by the American ambassador who was called Elliot Richardson and there was a press conference after the opening and I asked Elliot Richardson a rather mischievous question. I said, this as is... As was your want. <laughs> as was my want, yes. This is the bicentennial year for the United States and should we not just be commemorating the Mellon family who provided the money for this folk park and who we were thinking of today? But also we should uh, be thinking of the Cherokee Indians, many of whom died in the Trail of Tears. And uh, he... He said, yes, of course we should be, but we should be looking forward, not backward. Mm. But afterwards, when we were all queuing for a, a barbecue, he came over to me and he said, why didn't you ask me about effing Geronimo? And he used the full word. Wow. Uh, 
You, uh, you touched uh, a raw nerve. I or? did. But the interesting thing was that a few minutes after that, one of his entourage, who was a dark-haired lady, came over from the embassy in London. She said, I want to express my gratitude for asking that question because I'm one eighth Cherokee. Wow. So, you know, I've always remembered that incident. And uh, as far as the book's concerned, it's one I've returned to when I was posted back in the United States to remind myself. And I visited some Indian reservations in the United States to write about their fate their, which, their, their conditions very, of life. It's a sad fate, it's, isn't it? Some are making a lot of money out of casinos, and, but a lot of uh, Indian youth are still... Very um, high problems with uh, alcohol, drugs and alcohol, drugs and, and yeah. so on. And the, the bury my heart at Wounded Knee was always in the back of my mind when I was writing those stories. It's a real lesson, uh, not this book, but how the treatment of, of Native Americans. It was a real, you know, the old adage about history is written by the victors because for so long, history was written by yeah. the yeah. white Europeans. Yes, what D. Brown did was he interviewed the Indian chiefs and, and many of the Indians who were descended from those who died and who were resettled in Oklahoma. So it was the first time that somebody had not written about the Indians from the white man's point of view, but actually compiled the stories that the Indians themselves told and had handed down over the generations. Yeah, it was interesting. I was, I was reading back over it and some of the critique and the criticism of the book at the time, and one of them was, I thought it was absolutely ridiculous, saying there was a lack of um, source <laughs> material and there was a, a, a lot of direct quotes. Now, I would have thought, as a journalist, maybe thinking as a journalist, I would have thought that's the obvious thing to do, go straight to the source and talk to them directly. It, it, it was 